think to yourself the last time you saved a lot of money on something. I mean, you got such a great deal. You were very excited. Okay, mark that down. That was you being frugal. And you should be proud of that. Our friends from the Frugal Friends podcast, Jen and Jill, will be in on the show today, giving us some frugal tips. Plus, in our No Dumb Questions segment, we're going to give you a quick explanation of what a Roth IRA is. And we're going to take a seat at the kids' table, a fun activity you can do with your kids to teach them the value of money and why we have money. All of that today on the 7 Figures podcast. Thank you for taking time, making time to be here. I know. Sometimes it's a struggle. Learning about finances is boring. But I got to tell you, it's what we need to do, especially today's episode. Little ways to be frugal make such a big impact on your financial life. Please, it drives me absolutely crazy how much money we spend just to watch sports on TV. Drives me nuts. But my husband loves it. Finally. The other day, my husband says, okay, you know what? I think it's time to cut the cord. I think I can still get all the sports that I need, and we could save $100 a month. I'm like, $100 freaking dollars? Yes, go for it. Let's do it. Take care of it. Done. Love it. He set it up yesterday. I don't know how to turn the damn thing on. I, I don't. I am so technologically challenged. I don't even want to learn. I don't care. Just somebody turn the TV on for me, either one of my kids or my husband, whatever. Somebody do that for me because I don't want to learn. Okay, that's one thing. There's a lot of us who have, um, you know, who are not tech savvy. But when it comes to our money, we have to be as much of a struggle as it is sometimes. It's boring. I know there's a million other things you would rather be doing than working out your budget. But it's so important for us to take charge of our own finances, to have at least somewhat of an understanding of what's going on with our money. So it's really good that you're here. Okay, before we chat with Jen and Jill from the Frugal Friends podcast, let's start the show with no dumb questions. CFP at the Harmony Financial Wellness Group at RBC Wealth Management, Erica Cummings is here. Hi, Erica. Hello. All right. You know, I was scrolling back to some of our old episodes and I'm like, what haven't we touched on? And I saw that we talked about IRAs at one point. And then I'm like, wait a minute. We never followed up and talked about Roth IRAs. No, we, we didn't. Yeah. Can we focus on that today? We certainly can. They're a little bit more complicated. So there's a little bit, there's a little bit more rules involved, but we'll get through it pretty quick. I think. So Roth IRAs are similar to traditional IRAs with the biggest distinction being between how they're taxed. Okay. Roth IRAs are always funded with after-tax dollars. So that means that at no point in time can the contributions be tax deductible. So when we talked about traditional IRAs, we talked about how some people can write off their contributions and have a tax deduction in the year that they contributed. This is never the case with a Roth. It's always with after-tax dollars. But within certain rules, which we will touch on in a second, when you start withdrawing the funds from a Roth IRA, the money is distributed tax-free. So that means all your contributions and any gains come out tax-free. So what you're basically doing is you are deciding whether you want to have a tax benefit now versus a tax benefit later. Because traditional IRA deposits are generally made with pre-tax dollars. But when you go to take those funds out down the road, you are taxed at ordinary income. So it's either you pay the taxes now or later, but some yeah. people are probably like, that sounds too good to be true. You're never taxed 
on any of that money that you take out the gains or any of it? Well, so here there are some rules to Roth IRAs. So unlike traditional IRAs, where pretty much anybody can contribute as long as you have earned income or your spouse has earned income and you're not in what we call your RMD phase, which let's not confuse everybody, but basically traditional IRAs, you may or may not be able to deduct the contribution, but you pretty much anybody can contribute if they're working. A Roth IRA is a little bit different. So you can't contribute if you make too much money. So in 2021, the limit for for single taxpayers is $140,000. And for married couples, it's $208,000. So if you make more than those two, whether you're married or single, then you no longer can contribute to a Roth. Mm. So you have no choice but to put it into a traditional. There's also what's called a five-year, um, basically it's a, it's a five-year time period that you have to have the account open. It's called the five-year rule. So withdrawals of earnings may be subject to taxes and or a 10% penalty depending on your age and whether you've met the five-year rule. So basically it's 59 and a half, which is what a traditional IRA is, and or the five-year rule, whichever is longer. So let's say you started contributing when you were 57. If you're 59 and a half, you haven't met the five-year rule. So there'll be limitations to what you can take out and penalties if you go over those limitations. And for the purposes of this conversation, I don't want to get into the weeds too much, but these are those little nuances with Roths that don't necessarily exist with the traditional IRA. Okay. And the whole idea with the government is that basically if we're going to give you this gift where you can contribute to something and not have to pay taxes down the road, then we want you to stay invested for a while. We want you to use this as a long-term investment. So the biggest difference is, is with a Roth IRA, there are no mandatory distributions on your own Roth. And when those distributions come out, assuming you have reached the five-year rule or 59 and a half, you, yes, in fact, all of that money can come out tax-free uh, as it stands right now. I can never say, <laughs> yeah, never. You say that. there's going to be a, a time where they have to make up for all the money they've spent in yeah. COVID. So who yeah, knows so if that'll change? Yeah. So basically, you know, my, this is my two cents is that never say never, you know, I don't, I think it would be probably a last resort, but we do have to be cognizant of the fact that part of the reason why Roth IRAs were created and part of the reason why they're, they're kind of, there's a lot of rules that were in place a while ago that don't exist anymore. Mm. Conversions, things like that, that the, the government put them in place because they want tax money now, as opposed to, to worrying about down the road. I know a lot of young people who are only contributing to their Roth portion of their 401k. And it makes a lot of sense, but 30 years from now, we need to kind of look at where is, where are we getting our revenue from? If you have this whole generation and a generation behind it that now has contributed all these funds and all of it's going to come out tax-free. So yeah. I'm not saying that they're going to change anything. I have, there's absolutely no discussion of it, but you know, I'm one of those people that kind of hedges my bets. So when people ask me, should I do Roth or traditional? You know, for some people, I say maybe do half and half, or if you're younger, um, it may make sense to put a little bit more in the Roth, but really it's 
for those people who expect to have a higher tax bracket when they retire, the Roth IRA may be more advantageous. Okay. I just want you to save one way or the other. So uh, yeah. make sure that you're looking into what's most, you know, what's the most advantageous for you. Then, hey, why not spread it? That's what that's what you always talk about, diversification, right? Just spread a little bit yeah. here, a little bit there. You don't want it all in one place because you're yeah. right. You never know what the future is going to be like and the rules are going to be like. We don't. And and I'm like I said, this is one of those that I think would be really off the radar for now, but you never know. Okay, perfect. Erica, how can we find you and follow you and support you? You can find us at harmonyfinancialwellness.com. We are also on Facebook by the same name. I'm on LinkedIn and you can always email me at erica.cummings at rbc.com. Wonderful. Have a good weekend. You too. Living Frugal with our frugal friends, Jen and Jill, next. From the Frugal Friends podcast, Jen Smith and Jill Siriani. How are you, ladies? Doing so well. Good. Oh, my people. I love it. <laughs> I feel so comfortable. We've just met, but I feel like we've known each other forever. Oh, it's so good to chat with you today, Sandy. Thanks for having us on. Yes, thank you. Can we first clarify something? Because this is one thing that I often hear. There's a little confusion between frugal and cheap. John and I talk about this quite often. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we have variations of the same definition. But to me, uh, the way that I delineate the two, cheap is taking advantage of people. Frugal is not. So whenever we cross over into getting something inexpensively, but at the cost of somebody else, to me, that's cheap. Okay. Because I've, I don't, you hear it though, don't you? Where people are like, well, you know what? I don't want to be cheap. I don't want to feel cheap. Right. Where I'm not going to tip when we all go out to eat because I want to save a couple bucks, but it harms my friends. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I usually say that um, being frugal isn't the most convenient, is doing things in not the most convenient way, but being cheap is doing them in an inconvenient way. So cheap, uh, like cheapens my quality of life while frugality, I may just have to go out of my way to do something a little creatively or a little different to save money. Oh, I love that. Okay. All right. So now let's get into your aha money moment. What got you to the point where you said, yeah, I want to live a frugal lifestyle. Jen, let's start with you because your story is pretty remarkable. (laughs) $78,000 in debt and you paid it off in two years. That's correct. Yeah. I, I still, that time was such a whirlwind. Um, and yeah, we thought it would take us five years when we started paying off our debt. Um, my husband was unemployed. We'd literally been married for 10 seconds, and I could only get 25 hours of work um, per week at my main job. So we were not at a place where like, we should have, quote unquote, been paying off debt. Like, It was not the perfect time to start, and, uh, but we did it anyway, and we had a lot of setbacks, but I think starting at a horrible place um, made even our setbacks not feel like as as setbacky because we were still so much better than when we started. So if I can like 
just promote don't don't wait to start paying off your debt until you're at a really great place in life because that will never come but uh i i thought that i could side hustle my way out of debt i thought i could just keep the same habits i could live the same lifestyle and just work a hundred hours per week i was in my mid-20s no kids and i thought this is what i have to do to maintain my lifestyle and pay off debt and two months into doing that um, my body said no in the form of shingles Um, oh no yeah and so i had to quickly reevaluate my plan for paying off debt and that is when i really dove into frugality and how Mm. could i still maintain some level of socializing and self-care that didn't involve having to spend money Um, and so that's when i kind of started to embrace a, a frugal but not cheap lifestyle how hard was it for you to get your husband on board or were you both simultaneously like okay let's do this because that's a struggle for a lot of relationships isn't it Oh yeah, flip that. He's the one that got me on board. Oh, okay. <laughs> I am not. I am the one that didn't want to spend my life living under a rock uh, for five years. The last five <laughs> years of my twenties, the quote unquote best time, you know, of my yeah. life. What I thought, uh, and and I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to sacrifice living in order to pay off a debt that honestly I didn't think was po- like I didn't think it was possible to be debt free. It was seventy eight thousand dollars, and we didn't make that in a year. And so I didn't see how there could be light at the end of the tunnel. But uh, the the thing that got me on board was he challenged me to think bigger about what we could be, um, the life that we could live. Because uh, I could only see what was right in front of me as far as um, life goals. But he challenged me. I, and he just asked, he's like, what do you want from life? Like, if you could really have anything, like, what would you where would you want to be in 20 years? And so once I started expanding my vision, I was able to see like, hey, if this is if this is what I want in 20 years and this is only going to take five years, maybe it's worth it mm. to have, you know, 60 years of dream life for five years of suffering. And so that uh, getting getting perspective was what helped get me on board. Suffering. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't know what it's, it's you don't know what it's going to be like before you do it. Like it just seems like it's going to be well, yeah. lots of suffering. And that's why people don't do it, right? Cuz I yeah. don't want to torture myself. Are you kidding me? But then it becomes like second nature and mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's more uh then you then you recognize that gosh, when you don't have that debt weighing on you, Oh, it's so liberating. It feels incredible. Mm -hmm. And there can be life lived in the debt payoff journey, which I think is where so many of the tenants of frugality come in and can help with that. I mean, Jen and I met during her debt payoff journey, so it can't be all that bad, right? (laughs) Yeah, we met at happy hour on the beach, so we were definitely living at happy hour, not during regular dinner times. Exactly. <laughs> now, we shared fries. Yes, we split now, them. At that point, Jill, were you also paying off debt or what got you into this fr- frugal lifestyle? Right. 
Well, when I met Jen, we were in a journey towards paying off debt. I wouldn't say we were going as hard at it as she and her husband were. But to back it up a little bit further, I think for me, my financial or frugal aha moment happened younger. I did not grow up in a very wealthy home. So I think there was always this recognition of, well, we can only get it if we have a coupon or ah, just, yeah. no, we can't afford it. <laughs> so, or, you you'll get that in a hand-me-down in two years. <laughs> so, Which is I, what I tell my kids now to this day, but okay, fine. Yeah, normalize yeah. hand-me-downs. Yeah. Coupons. Now I think it's great. Now, now I go to my friends saying, are you going to clean out your closet soon? I know. <laughs> but I grew up um, close to my grandmother. She is 100% Polish and lived through the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of things that I saw in her lifestyle that I don't want to take on, aka hoarding. But there were a lot of things. <laughs> there were a lot of things that I thought were really incredible uh, about the way that she lived life and was resourceful and problem solved and spent minimal money. One of them being thrift stores. She used to take me to thrift stores all the time, and I hated it. <laughs> like this place smells, my eyes itch. Yeah. This is somebody else's clothing. This is gross. <laughs> Get me out of here. And then something shifted in high school. I think it was when I got my first job and realized that, okay, this still isn't a lot of money making minimum wage in high school, <laughs> but I can get really nice clothing at the thrift store. And so this, this is definitely where it could cross over into cheap, uh, where you could just buy everything because it's cheap. For yeah. me, I recognized there's good quality clothing here. If you dig, I got very good at digging yeah. uh, and, and I can find the things that I want. So that then starts started to build in me just a greater level of resourcefulness and, tr and seeing how I can stretch my dollar, which then moved into, I like this lifestyle. I am able to have a lot of things that I value that are important to me without spending a lot of money. And I think has built a lot of problem solving skills in me, a lot of my own abilities to DIY things that has grown a skill set beyond just financial and being frugal. It's, it is a whole lifestyle that I have now seen benefit in and continue. So when I met Jen, I was living in a motor home with my husband. That was one of the frugal choices that we made to own a home within our means and live tiny and live simply and be content with less. So that was how Jen and I, I's path intersected. Wow. Okay. So there's so much there. So first, the it's almost trendy now to go thrifting, mm. right? I think it was the Macklemore song started that, oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> Popping tags. Yes. Bless him. But it's it, there's like two things going on. First, I feel like everything is set up to make us think, like you said, Jen, that debt is just what it is. You will always live in debt. I had one of my, I have a daughter who's 16 and one of her teachers at, uh, at school said, you know, just so you know, you're always going to have debt. She comes mm. home. I'm like, tell that teacher. <laughs> it doesn't have to be, you know, they're almost taught that, Hey, this, it is what it is. But then there's also the you know, the idea that thrifting is cool and tiny homes and living simply. So we got both going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it. I'm collecting it all. I'm collecting all the trend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so 
Can you give us some easy ways to be frugal? Like if somebody is starting, going to start their journey because they're inspired by the both of you, what are some easy ways, some easy frugal tips you can give us or your favorites? Or Yeah. Well, know first that there are different ways to do frugality. So like Jill loves to thrift. I personally do not love it. I, you know, my allergies flare up. I don't like to dig all that stuff. (laughs) But my husband loves to thrift. And so if I'm looking for a good quality piece of clothing, instead of going to buy a cheap piece of clothing firsthand, but I may not want to or have time to thrift, I can find an alternative. So it's not maybe the most convenient, but it's not inconvenient to me. And so maybe that looks like going to Poshmark or eBay um, or thread up to look for what I want. And maybe I pay a little bit more, but I'm still saving money over buying it firsthand. So I think frugality is all about just getting creative with how you traditionally do things and just trying to save a little bit more than you did before. And you can gradually build up to maybe one day you will enjoy thrifting and you just don't know it yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to piggyback off of that, I would say to get into a frugal mindset, I think is a values-based mindset. And so it's not just about skimping everywhere. It's about saving so that you can spend on the things that are important. And so for me, I feel like one of the low-hanging fruits in that is problem solving and DIYing as much as I can on the things that are maybe less important so that money is freed up for other areas. Um, So I will mend my own clothing. I will sew. I will redo my own furniture. Uh, My husband is very handy, thankfully. So a lot of our renovations he is able to do, and that does cut down on a lot of labor costs. But then it allows us to spend money in other areas, whether that's in generosity towards others or in reaching larger savings goals, you name it. It's not just about hoarding cash or as, uh, if I can steal a phrase from Jen, like a race to the bottom, but (laughs) about identifying where where do I want to save? Where can I cut back? Where is it not necessary for me to be flippantly spending and being more intentional about where my dollars go? Yeah. Yeah. It is. Once you get in that mindset though, it's hard to initially get there. I think it, I often compare it to like going to the gym. We all want to be healthy and eat healthy. (laughs) We would love to be that type of person that goes to the gym every day, but to, to develop that pattern and that discipline, it takes some time. Well, I think none of us are going to be successful at this unless we identify our why behind it. I might be more apt to go to the gym if my why is it reduces my stress. (laughs) My why is to be a better worker or a spouse or friend. And I don't know, ultimately, I'm not the one to talk about exercise. (laughs) So I'll talk about being frugal. (laughs) Yeah, me neither. (laughs) Do you guys earn a modest salary now? Because sometimes when I hear financial people talk, it's like easy for you to say you have so much money uh you know do how are you now do you earn this modest income now and you're still frugal or right 
That's a great question. And I would say I'm, I'm in that boat and have been in that boat. My background is in social work. So oh, okay. I, 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 my, my salary has been very modest. When I started out in the field, I was making $26,000 a year working 80 hours a week. So, uh, I can understand that that perspective that can come with that. Thankfully, I didn't stay in that place. And I do think that that's part of the frugal journey or any time that we put a greater focus on our finances to recognize we can, we don't have to stay in this place. It doesn't have to be stagnant. So I thankfully make uh, about double that now, which I think by today's standards would still be considered modest. But mm-hmm. to me, it is a whole lot more than where I came from. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is intentional, the way that I've invested in myself and growing my skill set to be able to continue to increase my income. Yeah. 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 And, and when we were paying off debt, I started my salary was less than 40,000 and it stayed under 40 um, the entire time we were paying off debt. Uh, I have since changed professions and I make, you know, significantly more than that now. Uh, But my, my husband was making right around 40. And so we make more now and we have, you know, we have more freedom with our money. Yeah. Um, You know, it's just, it was a, it was a byproduct. I, I don't think, I absolutely 100% know I wouldn't be where I'm at today without that struggle because I'm a personal finance writer. Um, But I wouldn't have realized that there is more income potential for me if I hadn't started on that journey looking to increase my income um, for a a short-term financial goal. Because I grew up lower middle class where everybody was making under 40 grand. And so to be where I was at, you know, 23, 24, 25 felt normal to me. I felt like I was in a good place. I just didn't think I would make more. And I, and that's mm-hmm. why I didn't think it was uh, possible for me to pay off my debt. Uh, and then going through this journey showed me, oh no, honey, you can do so much more. <laughs> Is that how so you talk much? to yourself? Oh no. honey. <laughs> I call myself honey in my head, but usually not out loud. <laughs> but it does reinforce that it it doesn't matter what your income is. You can you 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 can live either debt free or you can tackle that debt or you can have that that peace of mind, that that financial security. So it's not yes. what's coming in, it's really what you're doing with the money that you have. Absolutely. Uh, Sandy, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't affirm that enough. And I think I really love specifically to champion people who do feel like they don't, you know, that there's no way financially that they're going to be able to do this. And for me, when I, there was a year when I, between my husband and I, we made $18,000 that (gasps) year, but I was able to cash flow my master's degree. Wow. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So it can be done. Yeah. We just have to be very creative. We have yes. to be problem solvers. We have to be committed to doing it. But but to I think sometimes the biggest barriers can be our own mindset in it of this just isn't possible for me or debt is always going to be present. But when we are able to shift that mindset and say, I can do this, mm-hmm. here's some different ways that I'm going to do that. It's possible. So I, I'm a big champion of people making meager and modest salaries, still getting at financial goals. It is possible. 
Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And there are multiple studies that show that there are people earning well into six figures that live paycheck to paycheck, one in mm-hmm. 10. And so, and then about 51% of people that make under 50K are living paycheck to paycheck, which means 49% are not living paycheck to paycheck. And that's a huge income discrepancy. Yeah. And so, more money only exacerbates what you are already doing with money. It yeah. doesn't solve a problem. Yeah, I love it. All right, so now your financial success, right, oftentimes is connected with your inner circle, who you surround yourself with. Mm. Have you dropped any friends because they kept you down? <laughs> uh, I have stories about this one. Um, so I did go through a season where – I wasn't able to hang out with particular friends um, and even had to unfollow them on social media because looking at what they were doing made me jealous. It put me in a bitter state of mind because I wanted to be doing what they were doing, buying houses, buying cars, taking vacations. Uh, So I did have to drop some friends for a season. After we became debt-free and started freeing up more of our income and earning more income um, to to do fun stuff with, uh, I can honestly say that all of those friends are still my friends. I didn't have to, like, drop friends like bad habits. Oh, okay. Okay. Just for a season. Okay. Just for a season. Um, and, And it wasn't because they were you know, bad friends. It was just because we were in different seasons of life. Um, Mm. But a a good side effect of that was that I made some friends during that journey uh, that would, you know, do free things with me uh, that I have kept throughout uh, way past paying off debt. And so it was, I only have positive experiences, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. you know, from, from that situation. How about you, Jill? I've not had to drop any friends. <laughs> I will say, <laughs> I'm not going to name any names. Have <laughs> I do think that this is an important thing to talk about, and I love that Jen talks about this often. Just the relational component of really zeroing in on finances and what that can do, especially if we're in a season of debt payoff where we might not be able to go out with people to the same degree and the way that that impacts relationships. I think it's something worth looking at, counting the cost of and and pivoting. But for me, I think it was more who am I going to add into my circle? And I would say Jen was a really crucial relationship during that time for us. We just paid off all of our debt back in February of this year. It's the, it was the silver lining of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that would have been nice. Um, it's, it's not quite five o'clock here, but that's all right. yeah, that's all right. Champagne. You can drink it at any point. It's of called the day. a mimosa. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So I think putting, putting more people into the circle that kind of understood it. I think we, we do have a great community around us. And I think ultimately people just think we're crazy. We have done some extreme things in our debt payoff mm-hmm. journey. Not that most people, most people don't need to do that, but yes, living in 
homes on wheels is the route that we took. And I think most people just shook their heads at us, but it was, we never really received pushback for it. Thankfully. And, uh, yeah, you, you include the people who you want to be like, right? Maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, I've heard, you know, include people in your inner circle who you aspire to be like, so then they, they can help you. I have Jill in my inner circle. Oh, I love aspire to be as generous and (laughs) thrifty as she is. Oh, hard eyes. (laughs) How long did you live, um, in, in the, in the mobile home? Well, we did it two times and ah. I would say it, overall it adds up to about two years, two and a half okay. years. All right. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Uh, advice for women now who want to be more engaged with their finances, but feel intimidated by it all. Mm. I think the first thing you need to do is get every crumb of the cookie out on paper And this can be a little time consuming and a little scary, but I would say for most people, when you get all of your, all of your monthly income, all of your monthly expenses, including recurring and debt and everything, then most of the time it is not as bad as you are thinking it will be in your head. Mm -hmm. So be scared. It's okay because it's probably not going to be sunshine and rainbows, but it's probably not going to be the hellscape that you think it is. Mm. Um, So so that's always get knowing where you're at is always the first step. Yeah. With my background in social work and my day job as a counselor, I think I take this question maybe to the emotional level or the experiential level. I I would encourage us as women to be curious with ourselves and to get connected with our story. So when we use the words intimidated or there might be fear or anxiety attached to something, I wonder what is that connected to? Because those things aren't just going to easily go away. And so to explore for ourselves, what are the barriers that I'm identifying in this? What have my past experiences taught me about finances? What are the concerns connected to? Was there a particular part of my story that is making me now feel this way related to finances? Because the more that we can understand ourselves and connect to our story, the better equipped we will be to to moving forward, aimed at well-being and actually accomplishing these things and taking the legs out from underneath the intimidation aspect. So I would encourage people to be curious with themselves, even at the emotional relational level, pairing it with what Jen has described. Oh, you guys are incredible. I love it. Frugal Friends Podcast. All right. Now, how can we follow you, Jen? Um, Let's start with you because I know you're a finance writer in modern frugality too. How can we follow that and all the things that you're doing? Yes, I am at Modern Frugality on Instagram, Modern Frugality on YouTube and Facebook, literally anywhere you search that term. Okay, perfect. Jill, is there any specific way that we can follow you? Yeah, so I'm on the Frugal Friends podcast. So Jen and I co-host the Frugal Friends podcast. We are on all platforms that you listen to podcasts and you can find our website, Frugal Friends Podcast. We also have a community group on Facebook. So lots of ways to get connected with us. Awesome. I really appreciate you guys coming on. That was awesome. Thanks, Sandy. Thank you so much for having us.
Oh my gosh, you guys are incredible. I love it. <laughs> a fun activity to do with the kids to teach them what money is. Grab a chair. We're about to take a seat at the kids' table next. Welcome to the kids' table. We got Susan Beecham here, founder of Money Savvy Generation. Hi, Susan. Hey, Sandy. All right. So today was a fun question to ask the kids. First, we asked the kids, what is money? And then we kind of painted the picture of a world without money. Everything is free. And this is what they said. What is money? Um, it's something that um, you can spend. So money, what? Gives you what? It gives you, um, like, you can buy something or you can do anything. Would it be cool if we didn't have to have money? If you could just go into a store and take whatever you want? Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> but then you would have to just work for free. You wouldn't get paid to work? Yeah. That would, That's okay? Yeah, because then you can keep your job and you don't have to spend for anything. Money is paper cut into little rectangles that we use to buy things. All right, so it gets you, money buys you or gets you. You can buy houses, you pay rent if you live in an apartment, you can buy almost anything but happiness and stuff like that. Do you think... Like money can't buy you love. Are you quoting a Beatles song? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think everything should be free? And let's just get rid of money. What do you think? No, I think things should stay we need to pay for them because if everything was just free then people would lose their jobs people that work at stores and they wouldn't get paid yeah but they there's no money yeah so they would no one would get paid right. and no one would be able to buy anything everyone would just be living on the streets and i don't think that's how no, you just go into a store and you just grab what you want because there's I, no I such thing as money i don't like that no no it doesn't sound like a good world <laughs> you just you would want to just walk into target and grab whatever you want no I like the feeling of having to save up to buy something and then spending it feels really good. Oh, spending it feels good? Yeah, after saving it up for Ohio. Okay. A world, a world without money. Well, guess what, Sandy? Let me take you back to a time when in ancient times where there were no dimes. And I will stop rhyming right now. <laughs> Basically, before coin and currency, people used to barter, right? I'll give you a cow if you give me two pigs. So that's how people exchanged value. Roman soldiers were paid in salt because salt was so incredibly valuable. Now, the problem with cows and pigs and salt is cows and pigs would get sick and die. And maybe on the way home, there was a rainstorm and a Roman soldier could lose all of his pay. So people said, OK, um, let's trade something that won't get sick and won't go away when it's wet. And that's when people started to trade metals. It became very valuable. And it was also durable, gold, silver, iron, and bronze. But then people had to carry something that they could use to weigh the gold or the silver. And that became kind of hard. And they did that because nobody trusted anybody to look at the gold and silver and say, okay, the value of that is X. 
So to get over that, the king of Lydia, he got an idea and he said, I'm going to create coins that are stamped with value and no one in the kingdom except the king and the king's men, the government, could weigh the metal and decide how much it was worth and label it. That actually was the first money ever made. So what the king of Lydia did was brilliant. He established and monetized metal at a certain value. So everyone played by the same money rules. So the answer to um, a world without money is money is a tool. It's just a tool and it's it was invented to establish value. It isn't something that can buy you happiness. It isn't something that you need to hoard. It's a tool. And what you do with the money is what's really important. Oh, that was good, Susan. So I want to I want to suggest something. I want to suggest a most painful exercise to get your kids to understand why money is a real effective tool that helps uh, helps our world keep clicking along. I want you to suggest at home that instead of allowance, you're going to try bartering. So here's an idea. They want new clothes. Ask them to barter with their siblings for the clothes that are in their closet. So they want new jeans. If they've got a sibling that's older, this works. If not, tell them they can pick things out of your closet, <laughs> right? So, you know, talk to them about how that worked. How'd that work out? How'd you feel about the fact that you got your mother's jeans? <laughs> um, was that really what you wanted? Man, I would love to fit my daughter's jeans. Well, okay, Sandy, that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> and I'm right there with you. But it, it, it points out to them how this whole bartering trading thing can become very difficult because the value of your mother's jeans isn't exactly what you think is fair in exchange for whatever you were exchanging. So with the younger kids, you can talk about toys, bartering with their siblings. Uh -huh. And I guarantee you there's going to be a discussion about, well, I'm willing to give my two Barbies for her two, her two Barbies, but mine look better. Ah, so yours are more valuable you see more value in what you're exchanging. Do you see how money that was a tool that was invented to establish value uniformly for everyone in society makes this so much easier and better? Yeah, what a fun exercise. And when you do these bartering exercise, money as a tool starts to get clearer and clearer mm -hmm. as to why we have this tool in our society today. Remember, children they learn by experiences. So when you're doing this at home, and and I don't expect a parent to say, so now wear those mom jeans to school. I expect it just to open their eyes and start a conversation. And you know, I'm a big fan about talking about money because yeah. the more you talk about money, the easier it is and the less power it has over you. Yeah, yeah. And the more creative ways, right? Not just... Uh talking at them about money, right. like a, like a, you know, elongated school day, doing these fun exercises and activities is, is a good way. 
Well, you know, we start this podcast every week listening to kids, and we learn so much listening to them. So I'm just suggesting that here's an exercise where you could really get a conversation going, where you could listen to them, and you might be surprised how much you learn. Yeah. Awesome. Susan, how can we find you and follow you? You can follow me at my blog, which is at SusanBeecham.com. And you can find some Money Savvy Generations award-winning products and some free resources at MoneySavvy.com. So much good stuff. All right. Let me know if there's a topic you ever want us to talk about in No Dumb Questions, if there's a guest you want me to try to get on the show, or if you need help talking to the kids about money. This podcast is for you. Before we leave, today's Money Victory shout out goes to Margie Tabor. She said, cleaned out my car and found $60 windfall. (laughs) Margie, I am marking that down. That is absolutely a money victory. I love it. Cheers to Margie and each and every single one of you who is proud to say that you're on your way to being a financially confident woman. Talk to you next week. Don't forget to click subscribe and leave us a rating and review.